1: thanks so much for listening everybody it's going to be a big consequential hour as it's been a big week thanks so much for being here Uh, for the entire thing the President of the United States goes to Ohio he is not afraid to travel does it right got the uh, security around him Uh, that's going to be big he's not going to like what's happening in the afternoon Uh, this crazy administration Uh, the Attorney General here has asked for Deutsche Bank material evidently they're looking to the the Trump organization Uh, there's supposed to be an afternoon press conference so that'll give uh, Wolf Blitz or something to pretend he's interested in, uh, which has no consequence to your life, nor does it have as consequence to his presidency. It's only there uh, to hurt him. But I'd jump ahead. Maybe they're going to just say something nice about the president. I doubt it. Uh, This hour, we're going to be joined by uh, Senator John Kennedy. Always great to talk to the senator from Louisiana, but especially today, because he was there in the hearing with Sally Yates as we move forward to unwind what led to the Michael Finn investigation, Flynn investigation, and the Mueller report? Big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. When you heard about the interview, you got upset, didn't you?
3: I was upset that Director Comey didn't coordinate that with us and acted unilaterally. Yes, I was. Did Comey
4: go rogue?
3: You could use that term, Yes.
1: Yeah. uh, Sally Yates speaks. But is anyone listening We will bring you the big moments in the Sally Yates hearings? It's clear also blaming Comey for everything and protecting Biden is key.
3: Number
5: two, we will have checkpoints at key entry points to the city. Travelers coming in from those states will be given information about the quarantine. They will be reminded that it is required, not optional.
1: There you go. Uh, We have uh, Mayor de Blasio, the worst mayor in the history of man, Governor Andrew Cuomo, weighing in. Corona catastrophe. That's how I characterize the nation's number one city's handling of the virus. The latest de Blasio disaster in the making with zero deaths. He now decides to surround the city with NYPD screening from tunnels to bridges to make sure nobody comes in. And if they come in from an infected state, they sequester quarantine for 14 days. 14 days. How do you expect to turn around a city that has no commerce when you do that? Meanwhile, Cuomo wants to buy the one percent a drink, plus a rescue package for the nation has two days to get done or our president will act alone. What would you like to see in it?
0: Number one,
1: please
6: clarify specifically. Have you taken a cognitive? No, test? I haven't taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Before you got in this program, if you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not, what do you think, huh? Are, are you a junkie? Th- th-
1: I, every time I hear it, I'm just stunned. Stunned. 2020 convention clarification and a debate there from Trump to Biden. We'll explain as we get more clues to why the Biden team choose. We continue to get clues why the Biden team continues to keep him hiding as he once again, as you just heard, blows up at a reporter and later gets lost in his own word salad on China. Listen. Joe Biden, we used to have candidates you agree or disagree with. We used to have candidates you wonder what their agenda truly is and what the party is. We used to have candidates we wonder if they're experienced enough or too experienced. We have a candidate in Joe Biden who the pandemic is the only reason why he's leading, because it keeps him from campaigning and doing interviews. When he's in an unscripted situation, it is tragic to the point he was barely getting attention in the debates on the Democratic side. It wasn't until Bernie Sanders emerged as the would-be nominee that the party passed One to Biden. Remember that. And here's why. In the past, we have watched Joe Biden over the last year and a half campaigning uh, ineptly in almost every way, making no sense every other day. When it comes to his cognitive ability, it is absolutely an issue. When a 73 year old Ronald Reagan running for re-election, there was an issue about his cognitive ability. And he stood up, took the questions and withstood the debate and beat Walter Mondale with 49 states. Got it? That's what it is. When you come up to Donald Trump, is he experienced? Does he have the political knowledge to be president? Can he, is he too wild and unpredictable to be president? All figures into it. And if you don't ask that question to Donald Trump, you're not doing a good job as an interviewer. And guess what? Trump would answer it. When it comes to the cognitive ability of Joe Biden, he's not the same guy. Listen to this exchange by this African-American reporter who simply asked him about his cognitive ability. That's it. I want you to hear the whole thing. Cut one. Please clarify. Specifically,
6: have you taken a cognitive no, test? No, I haven't taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. That's like saying you, before you got in this program, if you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not, what do you think, huh? Are, are you a junkie?
1: Okay. First off, did you guys see, Obtoid, uh, Allison and Eric, did you guys see, is this on any of the channels? Because I was flipping around yesterday. I didn't see this at all. To the point where I thought, was this a print interview or something? And then I came back and I started watching this uh, with Sean Hannity's show last night. I said, are you kidding? How the heck is this not major news? He just yelled at a black reporter says, are you a junkie? Are you a junkie? Are you not any reporter? I'd be insulted. I'd laugh, actually, if he said it to me. But in this sensitive times, can you imagine if Donald Trump turned around and said that? And the reason why this reporter's question is valid is because we don't see almost anything of Joe Biden. He almost takes no questions. And on June 30th, our own Doug McElwee asked the the vice president this. Cut three.
5: Some have speculated that, that you that you are subject to some degree of cognitive decline. I'm 65. I don't have word recollection that I used to have. I forget my train of thought from time to time. You got 12 years on me, sir. Have you been tested for some degree of cognitive decline?
6: I've been tested and I'm constantly tested. Look, all you all I got to do is watch me and I can hardly wait to compare my cognitive capability to the cognitive capability of the man I'm running against.
1: Okay, if you want to know why, Joe, you were asked that question is because you said you were tested all the time. And maybe that was the follow-up, because that's the only clip I've seen. But this isn't the only time Joe Biden has lost his temper. That's why I laugh when people say he's such a nice guy. It's hard for Trump to land on him and vilify him like he did Hillary Clinton. I, I don't know. I don't find him a nice guy, especially as years go by or he's pressed on any issue. He loses it. You want proof? Here's an example of the last year and a half of Bidenisms. Cut for I was a
6: Democratic caucus. You ever been to a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. You said you were, but you're, you're... You're a damn liar, man. That's not true. And no one has ever said that. And you want to check my shape on Let's do push-ups together, man. Let's, do, let's run. Let's do whatever you want to do. You said I set up my son to work in an oil company. Didn't that what you said? Get your word straight, Jack. But Look,
1: Fat, look. Here's the deal. we got to stop building and replacing pipelines. you have to go vote for somebody Okay. All right. You want to run like your Lou Grant uh, on Mary Tyler Moore in the 70s? You want to run like your Mike Ditka uh, coaching the Bears? That's fine. But don't tell me that these guys were known as nice guys. He's not a nice guy. And you know, Maybe you don't want a president that's a nice guy, but I want a guy that synapses are going off at the same time. So on an issue like China, uh, you don't, maybe that's not a, not a consequential question to you. You're an independent. You're, uh, you're an undecided. Maybe you don't care about that question. He's not going to take a test, what's the big deal? He's going to have people around him, so what's the big consequence? Well, when it comes to China, it's the lead dog that makes the decisions and sets the policy. And you cannot have a more consequential time to take on China, who are using the pandemic that they started and inflicted on the world to take advantage of us economically and militarily. You just tell that to the people of Hong Kong. You just look at what they how they poisoned Italy. You look at the deal they just cut, the trade deal they just cut with Iran to overwhelm our sanctions as we try to isolate that rogue nation. You look at the people of Taiwan and wonder if today's the day they're gonna get in. Invaded, and you wonder if they're just going to make another island and continually to shut off the South China Sea. So when he's asked about China, his answer matters. Try to make sense to this. Cut five.
6: The way Trump, the way China will respond is when we gather the rest of the world that, in fact, and in, and in, 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 in open trade and making sure that we're in a position that the world, uh, that, that we deal with WHO the right way, that that, in fact, that's when things began to change. That's when China, that's when uh, China's behavior is going to change. Is that
1: okay with you? What did he say? I'm telling you right now, if that was a relative of mine, I'd be concerned. He's running for president of the United States, the most grueling job in the world, if you want to do it right. Listen, he's going to have a cakewalk with the press, no question, unless the press decides they want to get him out and make the vice president the president, which could happen. When it comes to the wall uh, and when it comes to police, saying a different thing now. Now he says, I want to give police more funding. Good luck. I agree with you, Joe Biden, but nobody else in your party agrees with you. Those people on the street don't agree with you. The African-American vote, for the most part, don't agree with you. So when it comes to the wall, he's gonna. it stops building right away. He's going to have an immediate refugee program that all the Venezuelans in this country, they might be great people, but they jump to that line. They become citizens. All the DACA kids become citizens. And there's no deal done. Uh, it's going to be... We remember last time, the first caravan we saw was during the Obama years, and then he went and tried to solve that problem. It was the president of the United States that got Mexico to work with us. These are positives for the president that Joe Biden's got to overcome by saying, I'm not going to build the wall and I'm going to basically open up the floodgates. That is going to be a message to Nicaragua and uh, El Salvador and Guatemala. Start marching. Incredible. So meanwhile, when it comes to the campaign, I thought the president of the United States, when he was on with us yesterday, kind of stumbled to this idea in that you have to move the debates up. And he wants a fourth debate. At least his side does. Why? Because I did not know this. By the time September 29th rolls around and they have their first debate at the Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland instead of Notre Dame, uh, 8 million Americans in 16 states have already voted. By the time of the vice presidential debate, October 7th at the University of Utah, 20 million Americans in 24 states will have already voted. Wow. And then you get to the second debate, October 15th, almost a full month later. This is in, um, uh, in Florida. 35 million Americans in 29 states will have already started voting. Come on. And then the last one is October 22nd at Belmont University. 49 million Americans in 34 states will have already started voting. When you have states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, sided by thousands of votes, you want to be able to see these men side by side, don't you? And then hash out the issues and see what happens after and see how they bounce back, especially in this age of the pandemic. I'm going to take some calls in just a moment. So what the president said, and I think this is very logical, Let's move up the debate. Can we do that? Can we make it the first week of September? I'm not asking for—he wants a fourth. They're not going to give him a fourth, especially because your candidate is shot. But if you're going to have debates, you should move it up. Unless, of course, you, you're you afraid of people seeing you shoulder to shoulder with the president. If I'm the president, though, the last thing you want to do is say, uh, this guy's shot, he's not himself, he's obviously off. And No, you want to say— Joe Biden's been around 47 years. He's had many more years of experience debating at small and national level than I have. My goodness, twice he had two national vice presidential debates over the course of eight years. He had countless debates in the Senate floor. I was building buildings. I was building golf courses. And then when he goes out, you go for the jugular, figuratively. one 408 7669 Senator John Kennedy in just a moment. So much at stake. Uh, it's not wouldn't it be nice to have... Um, wouldn't this be a fun election? No, clearly, if you see what's happening in our city streets, if you see what's happening with our foreign policy, if you see what's happening with the handling of the pandemic, you know when I say consequential, most consequential in our lifetime, I am not kidding or exaggerating. Don't move.
2: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmead. breaking news unique opinions hear it all on the brian kilmeade show
7: we used to be worried millionaires tax people might leave no 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 the burden shifted we're trying to get people to come back i literally talk to people all day long who are now in the hamptons house who also lived here or in their hudson valley house or in their connecticut weekend house And I say you got to come back. When are you coming back? We'll go to dinner. I'll buy you a drink. Come over. I'll cook. They're not coming back right now.
1: You realize how pathetic that is as the governor of New York, who's losing more people on a daily basis. Now, keep in mind, if you don't live here, uh, upstate is like Iowa. It is wide open but depressed. He did not allow fracking to take root like it did. In Ohio and Pennsylvania and we have the same potential resources because he's an environmentalist instead of taking uh, his environmental recommendation which said go ahead and do it he didn't so it never revitalized people left taxes kept going up people left in New York City people had to be there so they put up with high rents high taxes but what are you going to do it was New York. Tourists were flooding the place. People were working here. New buildings were being built. Uh, you couldn't get in. That's what forced Brooklyn, which is now, which is a borough, to start to flourish, and the Bronx to be revitalized. Next was going to be Queens. But that all stopped in its tracks. And what I think the message is not come to New York or leave New York. It is that's what's happening in the major cities. People are saying, I've gotten used to telemedicine. I've gotten used to being able to work from home. And I don't mind the quality of life. kind of liking it in many respects. Or if If I do want to go back in the office, is there a way to go back in an office environment where I'm not taxed to death? I mean, for some reason, I pay city taxes. I work here, but I can't vote here. Only 20 percent of the population showed up to vote. That's why you got this this former activist, this heretic who became mayor, nobody really was running against him. It was about a jungle primary, and he ended up emerging because some of the favorites didn't. But I think there's other people that are going to start running. When you see the value of what you owned go out the window, when you see uh, the top 1% pay 50% of all the taxes in one place, yet they're vilified and they keep being penalized and uh, told they're the bad guy, These go, okay, I'm out of here. And, and I say guy, meaning women as well. John Castamatides is a self-made billionaire, and he came out, he was on the show yesterday talking about the revitalization of this Greek Orthodox Church that was taken out on 9-11 when when Tower Two fell. And then I asked him about running for mayor, cut 30. When you look at what's happening in New York right now, does it make you wanna run more for mayor or less?
8: Somebody has to save New York. New York is a mess. It's going downhill
9: at too fast
8: a pace.
9: His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. I well, told the real estate
8: industry yesterday that a trillion dollars worth of value uh, has gone south. And when you're, when you're planning on raising taxes at the same time, there, uh, nobody's paying rent and the values are going down then you're looking at
1: a crash. He's 100% right. And it is the the most populated city and the smallest, uh, the most dense area. It's why the, one of the many reasons why the virus flourished, no one knew it hit was about to hit us. Nobody. We heard about Ebola. We heard about SARS. We heard about swine flu, H1N. We heard about all that and we beat it. There was It was, a, it was a bad for people and new people, but no, no, never really became a big deal. This is the biggest deal of our lifetime. It's in fact everybody I know, rich, poor, male, female, uh, retired, active school kid, grade school or high school or college student. So this happens, a dense city, but instead of combining forces to bring the city back, they're going out of the way to keep everything down. No gyms, no indoor dining, and now they're saying no school. They didn't even put together a thorough report on how to reopen disgusting
10: from the Fox News Podcasts network download and listen to the one with Craig Gutfeld the co-host of the five like you've never heard him before you know him you love him you want to be like him subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com
2: the fastest three hours in radio you're with Brian Kilmead
10: was the was
11: the uh, steel dossier uh, critically important to the FISA applications. Yes, it was. The Steele dossier was junk, wasn't
3: it? The Steele dossier, when you say junk, I don't really know how to describe that. Um, What did you think about it? You thought
11: it was true? You think it's true?
3: Senator, there's information that was in the dossier that certainly is called into question now. I haven't been at the Department of Justice. No (laughs) kidding.
1: (laughs) joining us now is Senator Kennedy asking those questions of uh, Sally Yates. Senator, uh, at least you had somebody who admitted it was played an important role because every time James Comey is asked about the dossier, I don't really know. John Brennan, yeah, I don't really know. We didn't really need it. Uh it didn't really play a big role. They try to dismiss it. At least she admitted it.
11: Yes. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Comey. I, I mean, I think it's becoming clearer that Comey, um, was the hurricane, and crossfire hurricane. He, he, he bungled everything he touched, and worse. Brian, here's what I think the evidence shows. Uh, the FBI is the premier law enforcement agency in all of human history. But unfortunately, there were a handful of FBI agents and people at the Department of Justice who acted on their in, antipathy for, for uh, Donald Trump to try to do everything they could to hurt his chances to be president of the United States, and once he was elected, to try to get in his way, and they got caught, and they need to be held accountable.
1: What did you learn because from her, though? When, what did you learn from her?
11: From her, I learned I learned that uh, she didn't want to answer the questions. She wouldn't even admit that uh, neither the president nor anyone associated with his campaign, had been found to be a violation of law or or uh, found to be colluding with the Russians. That's the Mueller report. She wouldn't even admit that that's true. Uh, she wouldn't even admit, really, I had to drag it out of her, that the steel dossier was, was junk, which everybody with a brain above a single-cell organism knows. Um, she wouldn't admit that she was grossly negligent for signing off on all the warrants against Carter Page without even asking about the Steele dossier. She, she didn't even say, hey, wait a minute, you, you're asking me to to allow you to wiretap a presidential campaign operative, and advisor, can I at least see who this guy Steele is? If she'd even looked, she would have seen he was a total jellyhead. His source... Was, a, was, a, was an American who picked up some rumors from drinking with his friends. I mean, you couldn't, this this is strange with fiction man. You couldn't make this stuff up.
1: So the subsource that you're referring to was a guy who spent limited time, believe it or not, in the Ukraine and knew some Russians, but he mostly worked for the Brookings Institute and spent his life in America. That was the elite... Russian source that provided Christopher Steele with this information that was commissioned to him by the DNC and the Hillary Clinton campaign. And one thing we never bring up, Christopher Steele testified that he, he was under the impression that Hillary Clinton knew everything that was going on. She said she didn't know any of this. But Fusion GPS hires Christopher Steele to do this investigation. He ferries it out to a Russian subsource who happens to be in America working for the Brookings Institute.
11: Yeah, I mean, this whole thing, all along, I've assumed that Steele had somebody in yeah. Russia that he was talking to. No, his his source, the basis for all this, was a junior leaguer uh, who was working at the Brookings Institute. He was friends with Dr. Fiona Hill. Uh, when the FBI finally got around to talking to him, he said, yeah, I told Steele that I, you know, that this stuff, I didn't get it from any kind of political network. I got it from my social network. And I, you know, I'm not sure it's true. And what I was asking um, uh, Counselor Yates yesterday, you signed off on to, on spying on, on, a, on a president of the United States. And you didn't even ask? Who this steel guy was or who his source was? you didn't even ask. And she said, oh, I relied on the FBI agents. And these were the same handful of FBI agents uh, who we now know were determined to get
1: Trump. So, Senator, let's take a look at the Pfizer process. It is up to the deal. It's up to the Justice Department to look over the application before they hand it over to a judge. So the Justice Department's rubber stamping it. Rod Rosenstein makes that clear, and Sally Yates backs that up. And then they hand it to a judge who's going on the premise that everything that's been handed to him or her is true. It turns out the application's got multiple flaw- flaws. It makes me think there's other applications also like this. And it's not Senator Kennedy of Louisiana saying that or Senator Lindsey Graham. It is the Horowitz, Inspector Gen- Horowitz, the Inspector General, who was appointed by Barack Obama. So everybody's just rubber stamping that this is correct. Nobody stops and asks questions, which make, makes the whole process break down. Because when the judge gets this application, there's no one to go to bat for the source. So they have to trust. And they're showing us we can't trust.
11: Well, they're showing us, Brian, that a handful of people at the FBI could not be trusted. I don't know whether they're still there or not, but you, they these 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 handful of people, they lied to a federal judge not once but several times. When when I practice law, you know what would happen to me if I looked a federal judge in the in the eye and just lied like a dog several times? I'd still be in jail. You know what happened to them? As best I can tell, nothing, zero, nada, and that's what we're trying to get to the bottom of. I, I haven't heard from from maybe FBI Director Ray has already taken steps, but if they are, I don't know what they are.
1: He seems to be and, guarding and this his FBI. To defend
11: people, whether you like Trump or hate him, this this is called the rule of law. If you can't trust the FBI and the Justice Department.
1: Who can you trust in America? So you asked Sally Yates, uh, "What do you think of Trump?" It was there people at the DOJ trying to stop him from becoming president? Cut forty-four.
11: Isn't it true that there were a handful of people at the Department of Justice during the Obama administration that despised Donald Trump and did everything in their power to keep him from being president?
3: I'm not aware of anyone at the Department of Justice doing anything to try to keep Donald Trump from becoming president.
11: Were you part that of that group? Inconsistent. Were you, were you part of that group?
3: No, and I, I'm not aware of anybody doing that. And that would not only surprise me, but shock me.
1: Well, do, you think, what do, you, do you think she's being candid as she could right there? Or do you think she's, you know, she was surprised when James Comey said and the president were conversant on what was going on with Michael Flynn and what he was up to. She was evidently taking a guess, like, how does the president know this? And I don't.
11: Well, she's... She either wasn't, wasn't shooting astray or she just parachuted in from another planet. <laughs> I, I mean, I think, I think among the senior leadership at the FBI and at the, uh, the Department of Justice, this was all well done. I mean, all you got to do is read Peter Strzok's emails, read Lisa Page's emails, read the Horowitz report. I did. Um, it, at first they said they hated Trump. And at first they said he'll never get elected. And then they started worried, worrying that he was going to get elected, and they started doing everything they could to stop it. And then once he became president, they continued. Now, how how high up did it go? We're trying to find that out. We know there was a meeting between and among uh, Yates and President Obama and Vice President Biden um, and uh, and Comey. Now, they're all pointing the finger at Comey. Now, I think Comey deserves a lot, a lot of the blame for this, but I don't think he was
1: the with one. Senator John Kennedy's with us now. Senator, I got to bring it to the other area, and that is protecting Biden and Obama. And the one thing you get is a stop sign. Oh, uh, You know, Peter Strzok said, these are the notes. There was Vice President Biden who brought up the Logan Act as a reason to go after Michael Flynn. She says, I never, you know, I don't know. It could have come up. I don't remember who said it. The, whoever you bring in front of your committee they're, they're making sure that the buck stops before Biden and Obama. Do you agree? And it's going to be, Comey's going to be the bad guy. Not that he doesn't deserve it, but he's not in this alone, is he? Well, I, I don't believe he was in it alone. And all I
11: want, Brian, is the facts. Uh, that's all I want. Um, what I think Comey's going to try to do, if he ever shows up, I doubt he will. But I think he is. He and others are going to try to uh, say it was somebody under me. And the person under them is going to say it was somebody under me. And they want us to believe that it was some guy in the basement of the FBI wearing green eye shades who was responsible for all of this. And, uh, you know, I didn't fall off the rutabaga truck n- yesterday. I don't believe them. I think this was at the highest levels. And I think the evidence shows that. Y'all just read the Harwood's report. Now, how, how did it go? I don't know. All I want are the facts. I don't I don't hate anybody. I just if, if, if an FBI agent knocks at your door and you've got to worry about whether he's a Republican or a Democrat, something's wrong. Uh, I agree. And these these hand, these people have politicized the law enforcement process because of their hatred for Trump. And they've got to be called to account,
1: in just, my opinion. Just remember, Louis Free was appointed by Bill Clinton. And he hunted, he he investigated Bill Clinton like he never met him before. That was a different time.
11: And that's the way it's supposed to work. Call him like you see him.
1: A couple of things. Who's next uh, for Senator Graham and you? Uh, who else do you want to see? And do you think it's significant that the reports out of the Washington Examiner say that Dorham is set to interview John Brennan? Experts say that means he's set to wrap things up. So first off, who's next with you? And then what do you think about the dorm, this news from the dorm investigation?
11: Well, I haven't talked to Lindsay. I don't know what his plans are. He's the chairman. Um, I'm ready to call in Mr. Comey and and say, look, come testify. And if he doesn't testify, I'm ready to subpoena him. And we'll know pretty quickly if he just takes the Fifth Amendment the whole time, which I'm sure his uh, his lawyers will tell you to do. I have no idea what's going on with Mr. Durham's investigation. Once again, he has a reputation of being a call it like he sees it person. I just want the facts, and uh, I, I believe the evidence shows so far, Brian, that uh, there 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 w- there really was a cancer at the at the FBI and the Justice Department. I want to be sure that they're called to account, and at the very least. They're no longer there. I think we also need to hear from uh, the FBI director, the current FBI director, uh, Chris he, Ray, who I, who I think is a great guy. But, but it's time for Chris to come to the table and, and tell us what he's done to fix the problems over
1: there. Yeah. The other thing that I think is important is, do you know, Andrew Weissman, who really did all the work, and Robert Mueller was a figurehead, did all the investigation. Uh, and in The New York Times, he's basically saying, uh, Justice Department officials, former Justice Department officials, do not show up. You have 90 days into the next election. Joe Biden will win. Start saying no when your committee tells them to show. How do you feel about that?
7: Well,
11: that wouldn't surprise me. I'm, I don't want to pay with too broad a brush and say it's all of them, but I'm sure it's crossed the minds of some of them, and some of them are probably doing that. That's why God made subpoenas, and that's why Lindsay needs to just say, give them a reasonable amount of time, and then start start subpoenaing them. And I'm, I'm all for doing two or three of them a day. You know, let's start at 7.30 in the morning and go into the night.
1: I I don't know why you're delaying Um, so much.
11: Let's knock them out. Uh, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do it on a Saturday. Do it on a Sunday. Uh, Let's bring them all in. Uh, And uh, uh, there's no reason we have to limit it to a three or four hour
1: hearing.
11: Uh, Let's settle up and ride. I'm ready.
1: Lastly, are we going to get a rescue package uh, deal out of the Senate and House by tomorrow?
11: No, I mean, look, I'm labor, not management, (laughs) as you know. So they they could have made a deal this morning. But making a deal is, is, you know, not the end objective here. It's called making a deal that's fair to the American people. And uh, I want to see what they come up with. And I don't know. that My personal feeling is I don't think that Senator Schoenberg and Speaker Pelosi really want a deal. Uh, I think that they think the chaos. Uh, hurts the president, um, and I think that's an unfortunate point of view because it also hurts. The, it may or may not hurt the president, but I know it hurts the American people. And uh, you know, that's the problem with Washington D.C. We have two problems at D.C. It number one, D.C. attracts very unstable people, and number two, once they get here, too many people think about the next election and not the next generation.
1: I agree. Um, I, I, I remember Senator Osborne saying, I'm there for a couple of terms, and I'm out, because I'm here to give back. Uh, he started his career as a doctor. Sadly, he well, passed away.
11: Well, everybody has, every family has a weird relative. There are some days I think they just all were sent to Washington, D.C. You
1: know what I mean? I wish I could counter that argument, but I can't. Uh, <laughs> Senator, thanks so much. Glad you're there. Glad you're asking some direct questions.
2: Thanks, my friend.
1: You got it. one Back with you.
2: Questioning everything. It's Brian Kilmeade.
10: It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
2: The talk show that's getting you talking.
10: You're with Brian Kilmeade.
3: I'd be remiss to say that part of this depression is also a result of what we're seeing in terms of the protests, the continued racial unrest that has plagued this country since its birth. I have to say that waking up to the news Waking up to how this administration has or has not responded, waking up to yet another story of a black man or a black person somehow being dehumanized or hurt or killed or falsely accused of something. It is exhausting and and, and it it has led to a weight that I haven't felt in my life in, in a while.
1: So that is uh, Michelle Obama obviously opening up about a low-grade depression, exhausting, really blames the administration. It's dispiriting, not just because of the quarantine, but because of the racial strife. What do you think about that?
12: I I mean, I think (laughs) I'm sort of at a loss for words, and it's not surprising that she says it. I'm sure she wakes up, watches certain things all the time. And not to say any of that's not true, but she also then says she combats it with exercise and staying in routine and things like that.
1: She got the garden. More to know.
12: More to know.
1: Hey, Kraft wants more Americans to wake up and smell the mac and cheese. It's not getting a full redesign, but they are changing. The company just adding the word breakfast instead of dinner. Would you have mac and cheese for
12: breakfast? They're apparently doing it so parents won't feel as guilty when they're serving their kids mac and cheese for breakfast. So they're going to do it anyway. Next.
1: Three E! Entertainment news shows um, have been canceled. E! News, Pop of the Morning, and In the Room. The move's just a year after E! announced it's an expansion, its slate of entertainment program. Today, producer Tommy Tammy Filler, who joined in 2019 uh, to lead the production, uh, said the goal was to build out a secondary studio based in New York and add hours to his daily coverage. This seems to be a relic of the fact a result of the pandemic nobody's doing entertainment there's nothing to report on these people are rolling in their houses you don't need a studio
12: well exactly and there are no celebrities to follow to report on because everyone's sitting home.
1: at dinner last night i they didn't want to watch the news but i did not want to watch what they wanted to watch which was the office so we we went to entertainment tonight There's nothing going on. I mean, it's the most ridiculous episode ever. They should have put a test pattern on.
10: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: All right. From New York and heard around the country, heard around the world, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for being there. We truly appreciate it. Got the ratings in for uh, July, man. Thank you uh, on behalf of the entire staff for being a part of this fund and the amazing ratings you were getting. Uh, Chris Wallace is used to amazing ratings. He'll be with us shortly. And Joel Peterson, he's going to be valuable always. But as CEO of JetBlue, uh, are you thinking about getting on a plane? Do you have some questions about protocols? What about the bailout to keep these airlines uh, flying? And I do believe they know that. Need it? It's through no fault of their own. They've been put flat on their back when it was one of the one of uh, the better investments in the world. Uh, so much going on at about in ninety minutes. We're going to find out what this surprise announcement is going to be. That's going to be impactful from the Attorney General of New York State as it relates to President Trump. You can guess it's something to do with the Trump organization that'll allow Wolf Blitzer to uh, get all excited today and pretend he's a news person while having making that the number one story. Why, President? on somewhat of a a Trump-like role, and Joe Biden isn't. And that's a great way to distract, and the Attorney General of New York will do that. Uh, We'll talk about New York in a second and so much more, but right now, let's get to the Big Three.
2: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. When you heard about the interview, you got upset, didn't you?
3: I was upset that Director Comey didn't coordinate that with us and acted unilaterally. Yes, I was.
1: Did Comey go rogue?
3: Then You could use that term, yes.
1: He did use the term. uh, Thanks, Sally Yates. Uh, Yates speaks, but is anyone listening? We'll bring you back to the big moments in the Sally Yates hearings. It's clear all are blaming Comey for everything and protecting Biden and Obama.
3: Number two.
5: We will have checkpoints at key entry points to the city. Travelers coming in from those states will be given information about the quarantine. They will be reminded that it is required, not optional.
1: Do you believe this clown? Mayor de Blasio. The corona catastrophe. That's how I characterize the nation's number one city's handling of the virus. The latest de Blasio disaster in the making with zero deaths. He has surrounded the city with NYPD volunteer screeners to make sure no one comes in from an infected state. And if they do, they have to stay at home for 14 days and they'll be tracked. And if they don't stay home, they'll be fined a lot of money. We've already lost trillions. Is this the way to build up commerce? Meanwhile, Governor Cuomo wants to buy the 1% a drink, plus a rescue package for the nation, has two days to get done, and our president will act alone if not. What would you like to see in it?
3: Number one. Please clarify,
6: specifically, have you taken a cognitive test? No, I haven't taken the test. Why the hell would I take a test before you got in this program? You take a test where you're taking cocaine or not. What do you think? huh? Are, are you a junkie? Do you-, <laughs> do you believe this?
1: Do you believe that was Joe Biden's reaction? Calling a questioner a junkie for asking about his cognitive ability, which he already said he takes tests all the time for the 2020 convention. By the way, we get a clarification on what sides both sides will do. And now I have a clear picture on why the Biden team chooses to keep Biden hiding. Uh, With that, before I bring in my next guest, I'm going to say nothing.
2: And now... It's time to clear the airwaves for the Emmy-nominated host of Fox News Sunday.
13: I have a news break for the listeners of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Unique insight. Well-placed sources. Despite what Biden said, do not expect the announcement of a vice presidential pick next week. Bringing you the news before it's news. It'll be the week after, the week before the convention to build up more drama, so do not expect it next week. And he's done it again.
9: Biden is Time. Despite originally eyeing August first for the big announcement, now sources say we can expect for another week to pass before he reveals it.
2: The soothsayer of Sunday, the presidential prophet, and the forecaster of the future.
1: Biden's not sitting down with you. There's no way.
2: Do you want a bet? Well, most of the time, Chris, the crystal ball,
13: Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. That was worth the price of admission. And since it's free, that's about what it's worth. No, that, was, that was pretty good. That was I, great. You know, the, the, the forecast or whatever. But the the crystal, crystal, crystal ball, I like that. That was funny. Well, uh, But I was right. I was right. Nobody else said it. I was the first to say, it's not going to happen this week. It's going to happen next week. couple of, we have
1: so much to talk about. Uh, first off, just a okay, salute to your Josh. book, Countdown 1945. Today's a significant day. Tell everybody what it is.
13: Well, this is the, today is the 75th anniversary of the first use of an atomic bomb, one of only two ever used, uh, in warfare, uh, dropping it on Hiroshima, destroying that city. Uh, a lot of human misery, but it ended the war. And I have to say, and with the point we make in Countdown 1945, is it shows what this country can do when we're all on the same side and not fighting with each other. And boy, we could use some of that now.
1: Uh, No question. Uh, So that is is the reason why I was a bestseller, Dennis Apropos, for today. Uh, So, uh, Chris, the other thing is we talk about these debates. The president was on with us yesterday, and he brought up the fact that Uh, we're looking at these debates and they're going to be happening at a time in which people are voting at such a level we got to at least move them up if not add another. Listen to this and I'm sure you know but for our listeners September 29th the first debate the Case Western Reserve University uh, in Cleveland was going to be at Notre Dame. Eight million Americans in 16 states already started voting. By the vice presidential debate 20 million Americans in 24 states and that's October 7th. By the 15th 35 million Americans in 29 states have already started voting. And by the last debate 49 million Americans in 34 states. So do you agree the commission should look at this and adjust?
13: Um, You know, I'm not going to offer an opinion. I'm going to offer a fact. Uh, And that is the commission isn't going to do that. The commission is going to stick with the debates. They both have agreed to this set of of debates. And I think were they to open it up and say, well, no, let's add another debate. Uh, you know, I just think that it would it would jeopardize a lot of things. And, you know, if, if Donald Trump were leading instead of trailing in the polls, my guess is he wouldn't want it. So, you know, they'll have the debate. They've had early voting before. Yes, there's going to be more of it this time. But the first debate will be September 29th in Cleveland.
1: You know, to me, it's like sports in that when streaming became a big deal in the beginning, no one cared. And when it became a big deal, they said, okay, we're going to license that. And they were going to charge. And now we're going to sell streaming rights. You bring up streaming in 1980, it doesn't, no one knows what the hell you're talking about. To me, uh, when the bowl games were happening, there was such a push to, in sports, again, college sports and college football, the bowl games were happening and then we had people vote on the champion. They said, OK, we're going to now have a champion and we're still going to have bowl games. They adjusted. Time, this means more than any sport. You've got to adjust it. Chris, you could actually get in their face and demand it.
13: Who, who's, I could get in whose face?
1: The commission. They're afraid of losing you. You say I walk as a moderator. Yeah, they're,
13: they're, really depend- they're really depending. They're really on me. You know, look, I, I, the president makes a good point about early voting and saying you can't change the system this shortly before. Like in the Trump campaign is suing Nevada. Yeah, I think the same argument goes. Maybe we. You know, obviously when this was all set up, they didn't expect the uh, that there was going to be the coronavirus and there was going to be all this push for for mail-in voting because people are scared to go to voting booths. You know, look, that's a legitimate argument. No question about it. Is it going to change? I sure don't think so.
1: All right. So I got to bring it to our number one topic between us is will Joe Biden sit down with you? And I've seen other networks talk about this, too. Uh, and the answer is going to be no. Even though we did talk to you, I guess, a few months ago, it was uh, via remote, it was brief, and it was more about the primaries. Now it's going to be right. about his policies, how he stacks up, what is about his past as a moderate, how does it line up to what you signed off with, with Bernie Sanders. You know all the to- the hot topics. Uh, you know what he says. Now he says he wants to put more money into the police. Did anyone tell his wild left and the squad and their, and their supporters that he wants to put more money into the police? So here is Joe Biden. Biden, getting a question, Chris. And by the way, if I were you, I'd bring a helmet if you do get to talk to him, because here is a question from a, a reporter, which is, to me, not a tough question. Cut one. Please clarify. Specifically, have you taken a cognitive? No, test? I
6: haven't taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. That's like saying you before you got in this program, if you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not. What do you think? Huh? Are, are you a junkie? What do you s- are you kidding?
13: Are you kidding? It's, it's, it's an odd, it's an odd answer. There's no question about it. Uh, you know, and there was also that exchange with Charlemagne the God. I expect you at some point to be Brian Kilney the God. Will be your name on on your radio show. But remember when he said, "If you're for Trump, then you're not black." Uh, no, there. You know, this is why. This is why the debates are going to be must see TV. And look, Donald Trump is uh, not immune from. uh, Some some interesting things that he says every once in a while too. This is this is when these two guys sit down, people are going to want to watch. I mean, they're just going to want to see how these guys stand up under that pressure for ninety minutes.
1: Well, you remember, I remember uh, somebody else blew up at you uh, one other time. So I just want you to be ready.
13: You got that little smirk on your face, and you think you're so
1: clever. (laughs) <laughs> so,
13: wow, well, you really you know, this is like a Chris Wallace production. You're really prepared. You've got all your you've got you got me into the trap and then you sprung the, the the killer sound bite. No, you know, that that look, you throw in hard balls at them, they're throwing hard balls at you. You you know, if you're if you're not prepared to uh to play in the big leagues, don't don't get in this don't get in the arena. It's uh but I will say this. There's a difference between and, and I really do feel this strongly, there's a difference between an interview and a debate when you 're doing an interview it 's you and the other person, and while it 's obviously about them you 're the one asking the questions. My feeling about debates and this is you know what i 've always tried to do, but I particularly when I was did the third presidential debate between Trump and Clinton in two thousand and sixteen you 're the moderator, and you yes, you want to set the table, but it 's about them, not about you, and I always compare it to a prize fight. If at the end of a prize fight, you say, boy, that was a great fight. The fighters really went at it. Was there even a referee in the ring? Yeah. Then, then the moderator no, did a great job. To the degree they say you did a good job, you didn't do a good job. Chris. Just, just set the table and let them go at it.
1: Not that I blame you, but I'm going to say it on the record. If you came out and you ripped Biden right now and that got big news, you'll probably never get him. But you sat there and debated with the president in 100 degree weather about his charts in detail and the and the fact checking they wanted this was intense this question was such an easy question that he already answers here's Doug McElway asking him something similar 3 weeks ago remember this
5: some have speculated sir, th- that check. you that you are subject to some degree of cognitive decline i'm 65 i don't have word recollection that i used to have i forget my train of thought from time to time you got 12 years on me sir are, have you been tested for some degree of cognitive decline?
6: I've been tested and I'm constantly tested. Look, all you all I got to do is watch me and I can hardly wait
1: to compare my cognitive capability. Get it. That's he already answered it. That is Trump would have laughed. At, if you said that, you think he would have said, are you a cocaine addict? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> this is this is well, why I, the,
13: I agree. It's a not it's an odd answer. And that's why these. Debates are going to be are going to be something. And as far as interviewing them, look, I we put in a request every week if he, you know, that's all I can do. I don't have subpoena powers. You know, it took me it was it was a year and 10 months between interviews with President Trump from November 2018 until July of, of 2020. So, you know, they decide who they want to talk to and when they want to talk to them. I'm happy to do it. And if I do, I will be I promise because that's the way I am. I will be just as. As probing uh, as as I was with the president. Uh, I, I, you know.
1: I will say this. Uh, how many President Obama interviews did you get?
13: While he was president? Yep. I mean, in you know, other words, not before or after. I think uh, three.
1: Okay. Did not know that. Uh, okay. So people <laughs> well, at home might be there saying... Was
13: yeah, incidentally, you know how many George W. Bush interviews I had while he was president? How many? One. Wow. And it was not till 2008 as he was on the way out the door. Uh, so what a couple of things. To t- what is it about me that ticks people off, Brian?
1: I'm not. I'm not you. Sure I'm going to ask your family. Um.
13: <laughs> well, I do, and they and they say, you know, we don't have enough time. <laughs> so, I, so story, um, no, I just want to quickly tell this one story. So, I know we're almost out of time. So, Trump, one of his tweets, he said, "The nasty and obnoxious Chris Wallace." And my son is in his forties. My oldest son, Peter, calls up and he says, "Nasty? No. Obnoxious?"
1: Maybe. <laughs> so I talked to Jonathan Swan yesterday, and I, I think the president was great with you. And people say, well, you were t- I don't care. It's a good interview. It benefits the viewer. And I thought the same thing with Jonathan Swan. And he, I asked him afterwards. He said the president was perfectly happy with it. And they, they have a good relationship. So before you even comment on what you might have seen from the Axios's interview, here's what Jonathan Swan said, the president said. What was your sense now and then about what he, how he thought your interview went?
11: I think President Trump um, enjoyed it, actually. Uh, I think he enjoys a tough back and forth, enjoys being challenged. Um, I think he enjoyed his interview with Chris Wallace on Fox News, uh, which was a very tough interview. The one thing he said to me after was, don't
13: edit it too much. Well, run it in full.
1: Your thoughts on that?
13: uh he said the same thing to me he i mean he, he understands and you have to edit him because well for us we spent 10 or 15 minutes arguing as he's trying to get his staff uh <laughs> to get the document so that wasn't particularly oh hey kaylee have you got it no i don't have it yeah all right we'll get it kaylee that wasn't going to be very good for anybody uh but but you know he he i agree he kind of like he enjoys the battle and look. Donald J. Trump. He's been at this for know, almost forty years. But I mean, not his president. Know, this is a guy who's been fighting with tabloid, the New York Post, back in the eighties. I mean, this is this is second nature for him. This is what he, you know, this is what he eats for breakfast. So he doesn't shy away from a battle. No question about it. Say what you will about him. You can like him or hate him, but you'll once you're in the room. If he doesn't, as long as he doesn't feel it's a cheap shot. If it's a cheap yeah. shot, he gets ticked off. But as long as he feels it's a serious, sensible question. He's happy to take it on. And, you know, as long as you know, you've got to be polite to him.
1: Chris, we're going to watch on Sunday. Fox News Sunday's Chris Wallace. A lot about Wallace in this segment. I expect the same treatment when I'm power player next week.
13: You can wait on that. And if if I'm a little light, start without me.
1: Chris Wallace, thank you. (laughs)
13: Goodbye. Both sides, all opinions.
2: It's Brian Kilmeade from the Fox News
10: Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalists, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so
2: busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
7: We used to be worried millionaires' tax people might leave. No, no, no. The burden shifted. We're trying to get people to come back. I literally talk to people all day long who are now in the Hamptons house, who also lived here, or in their Hudson Valley house, or in their Connecticut weekend house. And I say, you gotta come back. When are you coming back? We'll go to dinner. I'll buy you a drink. Come over, I'll cook. They're not coming back right now.
1: No, they're not. Uh, Taxes are too high. Crime has run rampant. the uh, The subways are empty. The trains are empty. By the way, Long Island Railroad was down. Uh, that's the railroad I take in New York to get home, and uh, just down. So I guess it was a storm that hit, but I don't think they're up yet. Steve, listen on WABC. Hey, Steve.
4: Good morning. Uh, my My question or my point is, uh, Trump should have since Biden doesn't want to debate until the end of september and we have all this mail-in voting going on prior why not have a real moderator such as a chris wallace have an evening towards the end of august one night on international policy regarding china iran the eu and etc and on another night a week later have domestic policy and let him speak
7: on
1: that yeah well they'll they will have formats there's no question and if he can't speak on it and get a word out after 15 minutes how could you vote for him
10: New from the Fox News Podcasts Network.
3: My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe
2: and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
4: I think it's
1: very important that we keep the airlines going. There'll be very good times very soon, I hope. And we don't want to lose our airlines. So if they're looking at that, uh, whether they're Republican or Democrat, I'd be certainly in favor. We can't lose our transportation system. Uh, Joe Peterson joins us now. That was the president, obviously, talking about how much we need to do to shore up the economy because we brought it to a screeching halt. Uh, voluntarily for the first time in our history. He's uh, Joel Peterson's a former chairman of JetBlue Stanford business professor founder of PE firm Peterson partners and author of entrepreneurial leadership and one of our great guests. Joel, welcome back.
4: Great to be with you, Brian, the hardest-working
1: man in media. (laughs) If you consider this work, it's too much fun to be work. Um, (laughs) You know, you're the former chairman of JetBlue Airways uh, Airways and the Hoover Institute, so I want to talk about the airlines, but I also want to talk about your column that you wrote and talked about what you did as an investment firm. You diversified. You invested in a lot of businesses. You get word soon around, in March 20th, we had a shelter-in-place, And the way you do it has everything to do with whether you're going to survive or not. And some of the things you did, I think, are noteworthy. For example, one of your investments was a fitness studio. How do you act? How do you react to something like this?
4: Yeah, so uh, in this case, we basically went online and started teaching classes online. And people would get together, and we had this fantastic woman who would put it together And uh, we actually developed an increased commitment to the whole thing uh, just by being creative and doing it online. So what it requires really is entrepreneurs who are thinking about their customers and who are saying, how do we adapt? And it's really the reason I wrote this book about entrepreneurial leadership uh, is that entrepreneurs adapt. They see around corners. They think about their customers, their investors, uh, their constituencies in every form and they make the best of it. And we really need that kind of leadership today.
1: We don't have it. And, Joel, I tell you, it drives me nuts. And as resourceful as you are, if you had this fitness studio in New York, you'd be so frustrated because you're not even on the phase schedule. All these studios pour their life of blood into their fitness studios, which if you're into fitness, you're, you're into discipline and organization. Yeah. And they're not allowed. They're just dying on the vine. Lease payments are being unmet. People, uh, some have been retained, but most have been dismissed. And they wonder if there's going to be a tomorrow.
4: Yeah, it's it's a tragedy, Brian. And Uh, it's uh, unnecessary. The thing that's really sad is people have stopped listening to each other. Uh, And really, we need to be empathetic. In some areas, there have been no COVID outbreaks, and yet half the people have lost their jobs. Uh, So they're really they're dying. In other areas, there really are genuine concerns, but people have stopped talking to each other. They've lost empathy. And therefore, without listening, without showing respect, we've lost our ability to have dialogue. And I think that's really one of the saddest things of this whole thing.
1: You know, the reality is, Joel, uh, entrepreneurs don't get paid if they don't have success. They oftentimes got to go into (laughs) debt in order to do it. And they bet on themselves. So now exactly. you have politicians who are getting paid. So why, what's the incentive for them? They come off like authoritarian leaders, but they oftentimes have no business background. And their checks are still clearing. So how are they possibly feeling what the businessman and woman's feeling right now who won't want to own a restaurant or a gym or in the hospitality industry?
4: Yeah, it, it's troubling the insensitivity of it. I, I list uh, five kinds of leaders in this book, and one is the politician, and they do important things. Fundamentally, they understand power. They reward friends and punish enemies and should make deals and whatever. But that's only one kind of leadership, and it's not what we need right now. When you're really dealing in an uncertain environment, we're kind of at wartime, and we need the kind of creativity that uh, entrepreneurs and generals and whatever give to defeat this enemy. And politicians just are not wired that way. They're wired to get reelected.
1: Uh, I hear you, and but it's for the people. It should be service. The attitude should be service, not power. And we got to get back to that, Joel. The other thing you also talk about: the first thing you do, cut executive pay. Show people you care about the worker.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people will remember forever how you behaved during this time. The first thing the JetBlue board did was everybody said we're not taking any fees as a board during this period of time, and our executive team actually cut their pay in half. Uh, So you can't ask people to make sacrifices and to be worried unless you're willing to do it yourself. You lead from the front. And I think entrepreneurial leaders understand that.
1: Uh, Uber, you you point out how not to do it. Uber lays off 3,500 employees via a three-minute Zoom call. You talk about creating yeah. bitterness and feeling like the company cares nothing about you. That's the definition of it.
4: Well, it gets back to this idea of respect and empathy and listening. And, you know, we're, we're all in this together. Everyone is connected. We're in a highly interdependent world. And if we don't listen to each other and show respect, we're not going to get very far. And so I think it starts at the top. The leaders of these enterprises, whether they're governmental or institutional agencies or entrepreneurial activities, new businesses have to start with that. It all starts with the integrity of the leader.
1: So you talk about also a chance to come back stronger. I know there's a diversity of industries, but really come back stronger from this outside Amazon? Is it possible?
4: Well, Amazon has, has a huge tailwind, of course. Uh, And so some industries are going to have that. But my experience is that people who handle things right, crises right, actually are strengthened. And part of it is dealing with adversity. You build your muscles. People build relationships in ways they couldn't otherwise do it. But but I actually think that, uh, you know, think about the airline industry, Brian. Uh, Talk about an industry that's been hit hard. We actually had our revenues go down to 3% of what they were the year before. They're back up now. Uh, to maybe 30%, but you still can't survive at that. The airline industry cannot survive at these levels. So we've got to figure out, you know, how do we make sure that people understand that this is still the safest way to travel? And uh, so you start implementing the things that you need to do for that to happen, and you can come back stronger. There are opportunities that come forth in bad times for those who are strong and entrepreneurial and think hard about what the future looks like.
1: You know, I'll give you an example. I think the thing that pops into my mind is telemedicine was taking forever to get get its footing. Now it's common. And people are liking yeah. it on both sides. They can see more people, more times. They don't have to come in. It's easier for people with busy lifestyles, and it's easier for people who are worried about the coronavirus. Now, with you guys at JetBlue, I understand you were the first ones to start using UV rays to give people uh, like that ultra clean. Is that correct?
4: I think so. I know that we were at least among the earliest. And this whole idea of sanitizing planes at turnaround is actually one of the ways that we help people understand how safe travel is. But there's a number of others, taking temperatures, wearing masks, locking middle seats, making sure we have HEPA filters on the air so it's the cleanest air on the planet. Once people get used to that, it'll be a little bit like after 9-11. You know, eight or nine months after 9-11 where people just didn't fly. We put titanium doors on the cockpit, we had TSA, we we made sure that people understood this is still the safest mode of travel. So it'll take a while, and who knows how long, but people have to understand that our covenant with our customers is to be safe.
1: Right. Uh, What do you want from the government? I mean, you did get money from the government. It's not through no fault of your own. The tourism industry has been destroyed, uh, hopefully not forever. But uh, business travel is down precipitously, and people are choosing not to travel flat out. Also, we've been banned for almost every other country. Can't go to Europe. Right. You know, we're we're not going to—I can keep going on and on. But i got to ask you, Joel, in particular with you, with the government, what have they given the airline industry? What has JetBlue got, and what do you need from this rescue package?
4: Well, I think there's a big policy issue there, Um, and and I think the government has decided, the policymakers have decided that to actually disrupt an entire industry, it would take so long to build it back up, to recreate it, to go through the bankruptcies, to do all of that, and plus you'd be laying off hundreds of thousands of employees, which would uh, slow the economy, that it's actually smart uh, to support the industry. So while I'm basically a free market person. I really like uh, the market sorting things out. I think in this case, there is a strong argument because it's such a fundamental industry. It's so key to everything that we do in our economy that I think uh, there's an argument to be made. So JetBlue uh, was able to get PPP funds, able to get loans, uh, and, you know, haven't furloughed anybody. And uh, so, you know, and I think all the other lines have participated. I don't think you'd have a a chance if you said we'd want to be the one outlier not to do it. You have to do it. If the industry is doing it in any event.
1: Yeah. And some people listening right now, are part of the 1 million plus that had to file for unemployment claims. And we're at the number about wow. 50 million. It's a stunning number. What advice do you have for them?
4: Oh, I mean, my heart goes out to, um, I think hang in there. I've been through tough times in my own life a couple of times. And, uh, you know, the sun comes up, um, just hang in there. Don't lose faith. The market will come back. This is fundamentally a very uh, strong economy. The under, the underpinnings are very strong in America for, for entrepreneurship. And I think as we reshore some of these industries, I think a lot of things could happen that are positive, but I think they're going to have to hang on for a while.
1: you going to need some cooperation. I, I laugh when people say, okay, we need, uh, Eviction—you got to prevent people from being evicted. Okay, that's fine. And my heart goes out to everyone's being evicted. I get it. But then you got to go up to the people that bought the building who had to take out loans to yeah. get the building. You got to tell the banks to back off them. They're not bad people. They have bills too. So how yeah. can we? How can we ripple this back? If I could coin a new phrase.
4: Well, in a sense, you have to. There has to be a vacation that everybody takes on this, and it has to be uh, across the board. You know where. Um, where you actually make a deal that uh, there's a vacation on loans, there's a vacation on payments. But ultimately, we're all connected, Yep. but it backs up. So to me, the the only way to to make things work is to get back to business fairly quickly. I think uh, getting back in school, doing all these kinds of things is really pretty imperative. And I think the numbers are starting to show it. Um, And I think the will, uh, people... You know have different points of view there and i think we need to listen to each other but then i think americans have always um have always been proactive we've always solved problems and so i think we we have to take that mindset and i think politics gets in the way for a for a while i think we're looking at everything through a political lens which uh, i think means it takes longer to get there but I'm confident we'll get there and we'll get there fairly soon.
1: Yeah, Americans want to work their way out of it. But they're told the game's not on. You can't get in the game. You can't get dressed for the game. You can, the game will not start. So we don't even know what to do uh, because people told us not to. But if you just give us the opportunity to work our way out of it, we can do it. But if you keep the schools closed, if you keep the gyms closed, if you keep the restaurants closed, if you can't tell people they can't travel to different states without a 14 day quarantine, you are destroying your own country from within. There's got to be a bit of that, that give me the ball, I'll take the risk. I'd rather die trying than die on the sideline.
4: Yeah. Well, I think we're going to start to see some Americans doing things like that, almost civil disobedience, saying, you know, I've got to survive. I've got to live. It's like you've seen these gym owners that are just opening up anyway, and they're being sued and, and with threat of uh, fines and lock, lockup and everything. and I think the more people do that and say we're moving forward anyway, the more likely we are to work our way out of it. If the politicians and poli- I think the policymakers are going to, somehow eventually listen to people. So I think people have to stand up and and say what they think.
1: And not be sheep. A lot of
4: people are, yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: uh, Joel Peterson, former chairman of JetBlue, Stanford business professor, best-selling author. Uh, His book is called Entrepreneurial Leadership. It's excellent. Uh, No one gave you anything. You earned it. And for details on how to handle something like this, his views are are front and center on utahbusiness.com. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Brian. Good to talk same yep. here uh, during these difficult times. But next is up to you. one 408 7669 In New York, zero deaths. And guess how the mayor reacted. You're not going to believe it.
2: It's
10: Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America is listening to Fox News.
2: From his mouth to to your your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
5: We will have checkpoints at key entry points to the city. Travelers coming in from those states will be given information, about the quarantine, they will be reminded that it is required, not optional. They'll be reminded that failure to quarantine is a violation of state law. And it comes with serious penalties. In fact, under certain circumstances, the fines can be as high as $10,000. So, after- so this is serious stuff.
1: So after not consulting with his health director to the point where she quit, then he goes, no, I fired her. He decides he is going to quarantine the state, excuse me, the city. After what? If this should have been, if you were to do this, it would have been March. Now we've bent the curve to its disappeared. There were zero deaths. Manhattan, no indoor dining, no bars. They bra- they're took away hundreds of liquor licenses from people already stretched and stressed. And now they're going to have volunteer, I didn't even know there were this, volunteer NYPD workers surrounding the city. So in a city that's starved for revenue, that can't attract tourists and doesn't get any European entries because of this pandemic, In trying to lure people people back to work, they're making sure that if you're coming from a state that, that had a situation where the numbers went up, which, by the way, everything's always changing. Remember, they were going to sue Rhode Island when Rhode Island wasn't going to let New York in. Go, Cuomo's going to sue. Now he's dispatched to into Penn Station, Grand Central Station, I imagine bridges and tunnels and making sure people fill out forms and they can track them. Outrageous. And now they want a handout from the government. I live in New York, and I'm imploring the federal government to give New York nothing. Let's find out if there's more to know. More. To know. Three and four parents already know what their kids will be when they grow up. A recent survey of 2,000 parents. 75% so they already know. The top answer is science, technology, engineering. That's most. 35%. Uh, 32% say careers in healthcare. 28% the food industry. Others environment, 23%
12: on down. I don't know. Have you picked out your occupations for your children yet, Allison? Well, the twins are still a little young at four months, but uh, for Richard, I will Say sometimes I'm like maybe he'll be an engineer or this not. He loves like buttons and gadgets and he has no interest in normal toys. He wants light switches and vacuums and mechanical stuff.
1: I predict UFC fighter. I would not see, be surprised. Has he has he been in his playpen? Does he seem comfortable? Has he has, and he has That's my the beginning jeans, right? of cage fighting? Makes sense. Next, Dana no. White says the Rock needs to move fast as he bought the XFL. Listen,
7: timing is everything. People are dying to watch live sports right now. Don't be surprised if The Rock
1: turns this into a real thing. I believe he will. No question, but don't play now. Try to get that league together for February. Now there's going to be so many college football players who haven't played in a year, will not get drafted, will prove himself in that league. The Rock brings a professionalism and a a star power. Uh, It's great news for that AAA league, uh, which will have a lot of NFL former players in NFL camps this year. Odd year. Uh, this is a Brian Me Show. Keep it here.
10: Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details.
1: Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We've got a big hour coming your way. Karl Rove is uh set. We've reached his, We've met all his demands, and he'll be joining us shortly. Jenna Lee, at the bottom of the hour, bring us Inside Texas, the outstanding anchor from Fox News, now has her own website, which is doing exceedingly well as well. Uh, we're waiting on a, an announcement from the Attorney General of New York State, where she's supposed to, say, make a significant announcement. I'm sure it's going to be about Trump and about the Trump organization. You know, it's been nonstop, under attack, the president. President's business life and political life from day one. Yeah, he makes some mistakes, obviously, but he's different, clearly. And he's um ripe target for every single Democratic politician who wants to become a little bit more famous today. And we'll see that and follow that story. We did get some bad news today. Well, it was a little bit less than we thought, but still a million plus people filed for unemployment claims. We're up around 50 since this pandemic really took root in America. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
1: Number
3: three. When you
2: heard about the interview, you got upset, didn't you?
3: I was upset that Director Comey didn't coordinate that with us and acted unilaterally. Yes, I was.
1: Did Comey go rogue?
3: Then you could use that term, yes.
1: Yates speaks, but is anybody listening? We'll bring you back the big moments from the Sally Yates hearings yesterday. It's clear all are blaming Comey for everything and protecting Biden from everything.
5: Number two. We will have checkpoints at key entry points to the city. Travelers coming in from those states will be given information about the quarantine. They will be reminded that it is required, not optional.
1: Corona. Catastrophe. That's how I characterize the nation's number one city's handling of this virus, the latest de Blasio disaster in the making with zero deaths. He has surrounded the city with NYPD screeners to make sure nobody comes in. And if they do come in from an infected state, they sit in their playhouse or office space for two weeks. Meanwhile, Cuomo wants to buy the one percent a drink plus a rescue package for the nation has two days to get done or our president will act alone. Number one. Please clarify, specifically, have you taken a cognitive no, test? No, I haven't taken
6: a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Before you got in this program, you take a test where you're
1: taking cocaine or not? What do you think, huh? Are, are you a junkie? Do, s- do you believe this? Joe Biden, 2020, convention clarification, a debate dare from Trump to Biden, and will explain why, if I have to, still... The Biden team chooses to keep him hiding in the basement. I think we just got a pretty good explanation. And he was asked about China. And we got a series of words, but no policy. The words made no sense. Carl Rove, welcome back.
8: Glad to be here. Carl. Thank you for meeting all my demands. A, a glass of cold <laughs> ice water. That's it. it myself, and uh, it? you
1: don't even have it yet. Uh,
8: well, I do because I got it myself. So thank you.
1: Carl, in terms of experience, things you've done uh, historically, what you've known, what you've done, uh, personally, you got you've done it all. We're in an unprecedented time, though, in every way. And now you're running a campaign where your opponent is best off not speaking and not being seen. Yet he's winning. How do you handle that?
8: Well, you uh, if you're in you're, you're obviously Joe Biden is a guy who's hanging out in his basement and simply by being the alternative to the to the incumbent, he's looking good uh you know sometimes uh, that that's the way it works out it, 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 Michael Dukakis looked good at this point in nineteen eighty eight and uh so yeah this 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 happens, but you're right it's unprecedented the kind of environment we find ourselves in, but the answer is still the same. make it a contrast. get up and say with with specificity and and power and empathy and emotion and substance, here are the big important differences between me and that person. Uh, Barack Obama used that formula starting April 2nd of 2012 to excoriate uh, Mitt Romney as unworthy of the highest office in the land. Uh, George H.W. Bush did it in 1988 by pointing out Michael Dukakis's very liberal views on things like crime and differentiating himself. In 2004, George W. Bush, who was behind Biden in the summer of two, me, behind uh, Kerry in the summer of 2004, did so by pointing out the very strong. Uh, leadership differences. One man excoriated the U.S. military and the other supported the U.S. military. One was a strong leader and the other one was a flip-flopper. So the the, the, the ammunition is there, particularly with what Biden has been saying in recent months about how he would approach the economy and energy and America's role in the world. But it requires discipline on the part of Team Trump and a, and a plan that they execute every day, Talking about things that matter to the American people.
1: Are they doing it since we last spoke, which was about two weeks ago, three weeks ago?
8: Well, they're getting better at it. I, 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 I saw Bill Stepien's interview uh, uh, with, Fox uh, and Friends. with you, uh, yeah, Fox and Friends, in which he made a, a you know a very important point, which is they have to win most of the ninety some odd days uh, between then and the election day, which indicates the right mindset. That, what are we going to do to go out and win this day? But you've got to have things that matter. With all due respect to the former mayor of New York, starting a debate about a, a fourth debate that would happen before early voting begins is a process, not a substance issue. So they've got to be focused on process issues, not su- – not, excuse me, on substance issues, not process issues. They can't be out there talking about the nit net. They've got to be talking about the economy. And coronavirus, and your family, and your prosperity, and your job, and America's future, and deep differences between the two candidates. Now they're doing a good job on the issue of who cares more about the security of our communities. Who's going to back up the police when when against these crime, uh, these calls for defunding the police or cutting their budgets? That 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 argument he's winning, but. You got to do that each and every day, and you got to have the mindset that Bill Stepien had on his program with, uh, on, it, on your program Monday, which is we got to go out and win the day, and in order to do that, you got to have a plan.
1: So, uh, you know, China's going to be a big thing, and you got to outline, and we know substantively it's going to be a big thing, whether it's going to resonate the electorate. I think it will if you define it correctly. So, when that question of China was posed to Joe Biden and sanctions, are you going to keep these sanctions on and this tough stance? Listen to him try to answer. Cut five.
6: The way Trump, the way China will respond is when we gather the rest of the world that, in fact, believes in and in, in free and in, in, in open trade, and making sure that we're in a position that the world uh, that that we deal with WHO the right way. That that in fact, that's when things begin to change. That's when China. That's when uh, China's behavior is going to change.
1: Now, what do you do with that?
8: Well. You know, the problem is, if he, if he said that succinctly, we're going to be able to pressure China more powerfully if we gain our allies and we, and we demand that they live up to the obligations that they made to, to not steal our intellectual property and not to engage in subsidizing That's what you service, got out of the that? Of the service yeah, well, no, that, that's what he was trying to say. But, but he couldn't say WTO. He said WHO. And he can't sort of connect these things and say it. But my point is this. The president needs to get ahead of that. And say, I'm the guy that's leading the world, by example, in pressuring China to live up to its obligations not to steal our jobs, not to steal our intellectual property, and to play fair. And the president, the president can win this argument because if the question in this election is who's tougher on China, people can't tell you the specifics of what the Obama administration did, but they know they weren't tough. They can't tell you necessarily the specifics of what Trump did. But they know he's been tough, so this is an argument the president can win. But to prosecute it, he's got to basically cut out the, the you know, c- cut out the the innards of, of, of Biden's argument. Same on coronavirus. Biden is saying he's done a lousy job. The president, at some point, has got to say when Joe Biden was asked by Joy Reid the question of what he would do differently if he were president, he had six things, all of which I've done. He is out of ideas, out of gas, and I'm the guy leading. So those kind of opportunities got to be – the president's got to be willing to say, call Biden out in a, from a position of strength, though not a position of weakness, and saying, I want you to debate – we want you to debate President Trump one more time earlier before the early voting begins. That's weakness. But calling him out saying he doesn't know, you know what he wanted to do – what he wants to do, I'm already doing. And I'm doing it by leading on the question of China. And by doing it – I've already done the six things that he thinks need to be done about coronavirus – President shouldn't be afraid of calling him out. That's strong, not weak.
1: Well, congratulations. Uh, you interpreted that uh, in a way I did not even know what he meant. But you're saying don't bring up the cognitive uh, missteps. Go up, see if you can find substance and go at it. And let the people at yeah, home look, decide. Look,
9: yeah
8: you and I can bring out the cognitive missteps not the president not. shouldn't in fact I think I I, I I talked the other day with with a friend who had dinner with the President, and the president 's mind was in the right place, the absolute right place the, this This friend of mine brought up the debates so you 're going to cream him in the debates and trump said don't 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 think he's going to come unprepared for those debates. I saw what he did to Paul ryan I saw what he did to Sarah Palin. he had twelve debates. In the democratic primaries this year and he got better the smaller the stage got and his best ones were when it was he and bernie alone so the president's mindset is i'm not he's not afraid of, of debating biden but his mindset is he's going to bring his a game and i better bring mine and that's the exact right mindset i hope that my my friend was a little surprised by it because the president said, don't you underestimate him. He's going to be good in those debates. I think that's the exact right mindset for the president to have.
1: I was saying this what George Foreman always did. Oh, that my opponent's great. Oh, this guy, especially his, the second version of him. I don't know if I could stay yeah. in. He's so much younger than me. And he knew as soon as he hit him, the guy was going down. But But it, it made the win more significant. Because he built up his opponent, very it happens a lot in boxing. But well, you know what? Go ahead.
8: You know what? In, in president Obama and President Bush in their first debates uh, in 2004 for Bush, 2012 for Obama did not do well, and you know why? Because they they went into debates. They may have acknowledged on the their brain was saying this is going to be a tough thing, and my opponent is going to be ready for it. But both of their sort of instinct was, you know what? I'm the president. I have I'm, I know more about this stuff. I'm, I've got a good record. I can defend it. And as a result, they got a little bit overconfident. I think it's good that President Trump's attitude this is re- reflective of it. It's the absolute right attitude, which is this guy is going to they're going to do everything possible to have Joe Biden in physical and mental condition to come walking into that debate to blow it, blow me away. And he's going to by by by. You know, Howie Kurtz said it good the other day. He said Biden's good. The, the, if the expectations are low, Biden comes in and strings two sentences. Everybody's going to say, God, what an order, what a debater. <laughs> and, and But the president's mindset is, you know what? He I saw how good he is, and I'm going to be prepared for it.
1: Yeah, I want you to hear what he did. And this is the one thing I've been picking up, because if you follow him during the primaries when he was actually out there and there was no pandemic, he was – Losing his temper a lot, his place in his copy a lot, walked away from the camera a lot. And listen to what he said yesterday to a simple question. Cut one. Please clarify. Specifically, have you taken a cognitive? No, test? I haven't taken a test. Why the hell
6: would I take a test? Come on, man. That's like saying you before you got in this program, you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not. What do you think? Huh? Are, are you a junkie? What
1: do you Senator, to? By the way, to a black reporter.
6: Come on,
8: man. Come on, man. Look, that's a tell. You know how in poker you got a tell? Yeah. When 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 Biden is losing it, he says, come on, man, look back during the primaries, whenever he was getting ready to lose his temper at somebody, whenever he was exasperated, whenever he, but he was ready to spin out. It was come on, man. Uh, last night, uh, Hannity ran that on his program that I was on. And, and I, I had a whiteboard with come on, man. I'm going to bring that whiteboard to every Hannity program so that when, when, when we get into talking about Biden, I can wave the come on, man, sign because that's a giveaway. Biden is—I don't know what it is. Maybe he's just frustrated with having the campaign. Maybe I, I don't know. I'm not going to—I'm not going to try and psychoanalyze it. But but it is a tell that he is a, that he's exasperated with what whatever's going on at that moment. Bad interview. And and look, think about this. They put him in front of Joy Reid. They put him in a, fr- a panel of sort of the second tier at CNN. They will not put him on with Chris Wallace. They're not going to put. They're going to put him on with Jake Tapper. Only reluctantly. Anybody who's fair and tough, they ain't gonna. They ain't looking for the opportunity to put him on there. They want the anchor on the you know on the ABC affiliate in Akron, Ohio. You know they want to put him on with the Univision uh, you know chief in uh, Albuquerque. They, they do not want him on with Wallace or Tapper or anybody who's going to be tough. They might put him on Meet the Press because they know that that they're that the uh, that the moderator is going to be easy on them but anytime they they think that they're going to get pressed even mm. like last night that was a fair question did you take a test the answer has got to be you know what I, I i'd be willing to accept my wife doesn't want me to you know to to show everybody how smart i am i don't, I don't know what the answer is, but it, the answer is no i haven't taken it and i don't need to take it and move on not get angry
1: where do you stay on mail-in voting uh i makes me just as a voter without you know, looking at the flow charts pie charts I am not comfortable with it, especially if in a flood state with ballots they didn't request. How does Carl Rove feel?
8: Yeah. Well, I ha- I have a nuanced view on this. I'm generally not against mail-in ballots, provided you have to request a mail-in ballot. But well, I worry about two things. One is I worry about the ability of states who have, who do not have large-scale mail-in ballot programs already in place to be able to do it by Election Day. I was taken by, an inter- by, by a conversation with John Merrill, the uh, Alabama secretary of state who reported on a conference call of his fellow secretaries of state, secretary of state of Washington, Republican secretary of state of Oregon, Democrat, both of them are complete mail in ballot states. And they said, if your state is not already casting 60 percent or more of its ballots by mail, it is too late for you to put the processes and procedures and equipment and training in place to get this done properly. It took five years in Washington state to do that. You cannot do it in a matter of months. So that's one problem. We're gonna end up with more New Yorks. That is to say, you put the system in place and things get crazy and we are sitting here nearly two months after the primary and we still don't know some results. Second thing, I really worry I really worry about what it does to our system if yep. we start mailing ballots to inactive voters. We saw it in Clark County, Nevada. The, the Democrat election chief says to the Democrat County Commission, don't may, make me mail ballots to the inactive voters because they, the post office has told us they're not there. And so the cost of mailing out 200,000 ballots to people that we know are not there, and then having to try and figure out you know, if somebody gets their hands on that, uh, that they're not really allowed to vote, So the commission said, we don't care. They mailed out 200,000 ballots. Flood of them went out of the post office. Flood of them came back to the post office. A postal worker says, it scares me because these are not properly secured. Somebody could come in. Take one of those returned envelopes, because those people, those 200,000 people, no longer live there, and vote them. And he said, excuse me. And guess what? The Nevada legislature just said we're going to mail every inactive voter in the state. It's going to cost millions of dollars. And those people don't live there. The post office already told them they've moved.
1: Great illustration. Very nuanced. He's the great Call Rove.
2: You're with Brian Kilmeade.
9: Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
2: A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
12: Are you going to re-engage with Cuba, though? I mean, I'm I'm specifically wondering about, you know, the Florida yes. communities that are, in, in, you know, yes. incredibly interested in, in the Cuba issue Um, and see yes. uh, status given to Venezuelans while Cubans are being deported. The answer so are, will is you yes, I'm going to
7: engage.
6: Yes. Yes. And by the way, what you all know, but most people don't know. Unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things. You go to Florida, you find a very different attitude about immigration in certain places than you do when you're in Arizona. So it's a very different, a very diverse community.
1: Wow. Wow. So black and black people think alike and they don't have a diverse community and Hispanics, too. That was Joe Biden just did this interview today.
12: If he would have just said the Hispanics are a very diverse community, it's fine. He had to compare.
1: Which is exactly when people came out and said, why did you say that to that morning show? What do you say? If you, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. And people say, well, he misspoke and he was having fun. He didn't misspeak. That's exactly what he thinks. And this confirms it. I'm telling you, what happens is Trump has got to push for it. But the ramifications of this, in many cases, is African-Americans will stay home. They say, you you know, I'm not a fan of Trump, but I can't vote for this.
10: Fox Nation presents Podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak.
14: I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and
0: author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, The Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts.
2: A radio show like no other, it's Brian Kilmeade. My view is that school should be open. If you look at
1: children, children are almost, and I would almost say Definitely, but almost immune from this disease. So few, it's, they've got stronger, hard to
8: believe, and I don't know how you feel about it, but they have much stronger immune systems than we do
11: somehow for this. And they do it, they, they don't have a problem. They just don't have
1: a problem. And because he said almost immune, the Twitter uh, and Facebook thought that was not good for the people to know about. So when that, was po- that video was posted from Fox and Friends on the Trump campaign sites they took it down and they and they said that that is dangerous for people to know when it's just a matter of the fact that he is not He's not a doctor. What he's trying to say is it's very hard for kids to get it. The percentage is your muscle low, and there's almost no example of them even getting sick. Or there's a very low rate of transferring to adults. And that should factor in whether we open up schools or not. Uh, joining us now to say would they be take would this clip be taken down from Smarter News is Jenna Lee. Why would she know that? Because she created Smarter News. Hey, Jenna.
14: Hey, Brian. You're right. We would have left that clip up. I believe in more information and access from the public to sources. So thank you for that. We would have left that clip up. Huh?
1: <laughs> thank you for that. I think that that's what people are supposed to do.
14: Absolutely. You know, at this point, here's the thing. It's it's very difficult as a journalist. We're constantly trying to look for the facts and the data and the reasons to why and why it matters and make it very clear for our audience. We're in a stage, though, where quite frankly, if we're completely honest and transparent, we don't have a lot of facts that we can double, triple source when it comes to this pandemic. So what the president is saying there may not be said in exactly the way everyone else would say it, as you pointed out, but he's trying to explain a broader point, which I know you know, which is over the last six months in America, we haven't seen yet a huge outbreak amongst children. That doesn't mean it can't happen, but we are looking at the data that is available. And as of right now, that's what the data is showing. It can change quickly, but that's what it's showing.
1: So uh, let, let's look at the coronavirus in Texas. Were you surprised it surged like it did? What's it been like around you? And I see the numbers are going down, although Houston seems to be under the most pressure.
14: Yes. You know, it was surprising, I would say, for the community. I live right around Austin, Brian. And overall, since the pandemic started, since this community observed what was happening on the East Coast, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't describe anyone here that, that was flagrantly um going past any restrictions, you know, Uh, maybe I don't have any friends, but I wasn't invited to any big parties, you know, or anything like that. It seems like people were more or less trying to remain a little conservative with their gatherings. So to see a large outbreak sort of come up suddenly, and I will say that's something that Dr. Burke said in recent weeks that didn't get a lot of attention in the, the mainstream media, but was really important to me as a journalist. She said, you know, what we saw in the Sun Belt was so different than what we saw in the East Coast, because the outbreak sort of all happen at the one at the same time or in the east coast you saw new york peaks and boston then philadelphia and so she said one of the things that health officials are really looking at is to why why did that happen was it simply memorial day weekend that people did relax too much uh, what were the factors and so it did come on suddenly the cases in our area and deaths are still relatively low at places like houston or even places like new york or california so you know I have to say I'm both following the data and also trying to rely on personal experience. And as of right now, we're lucky. Our family hasn't known anyone that's been severely affected by this illness. and we haven't known any children to be. So we're just trying to operate the best that we can.
1: Um, how many of your kids are getting to go to school full time?
14: None of them are going to school full time. Uh, the one-year-old is grateful for that. <laughs>
4: right, <because> you... <laughs> But
14: my <laughs> my soon-to-be six-year-old and my my four-year-old, who were both going to be in in school programs, are you know are disappointed. We are looking at al- alternatives for that, and I think parents are being very creative. But you know, there's no school for them to attend full time right now, at least for the next several. Are weeks. schools
1: open in your area?
14: They're opening they? in a delayed opening. It's a delayed opening. So they could they could go to school in four weeks. In the meantime, they would have to do all their work online. I'm choosing not to do that for my kindergartner because, let's face it, I'm enough on my phone. I don't need him to be on my phone. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so we're looking at trying to do some, you know, uh, alt- I don't want to say alternative schooling, but try to do some homeschooling, piece together groups for the kids to school together and do the best that we can to keep them on, on pace.
1: Uh, Jenna Lee with us, a uh, former Fox anchor, a great friend of ours in the show. She's got a brand new, uh, not relatively new, but it's Smarter News she created. Go to smarternews.com. It's a great site. So i got to bring you to what's happening where you used to work, and that's New York. Uh, we have a governor who suddenly uh, woke up and realized everyone left for Texas and Florida. Listen to Governor Cuomo realize his tax base, 50%. The top 1% pay 50% of all the taxes, and they've been vilified, and they've left because the taxes have gotten so high, and they're considering more. Cut 29.
7: We used to be worried millionaires' tax people might leave. No, no, no. The burden shifted. We're trying to get people to come back. I literally talk to people all day long who are now in the Hamptons house, who also lived here, or in their Hudson Valley house. Or in their Connecticut weekend house. And I say, you got to come back. When are you coming back? We'll go to dinner. I'll buy you a drink. Come over. I'll cook. They're not coming back right now. City is (laughs) overrun with
1: crime and the taxes are the roof. They just woke up to that, Jenna.
14: I'm sorry. I, it's not really an invitation about, like, <laughs> let's get a drink. Let's go to dinner. I don't know. This, where are you going to get dinner? Are you sitting in the restaurant? Because as I remember, that wasn't allowed.
1: <laughs> yes, outside. <laughs>
14: outside. <laughs> Thank you. You know, listen, um, I'm glad you're talking to a lot of people in the Hamptons. Uh, I guess it would be maybe better to talk to you, uh, your, your, you know, I want to I say regular family. But we certainly didn't live in the Hamptons when we lived in New York. So, listen, this is I think we're going to wake up to a lot of interesting realities and a lot of lessons learned from the pandemic, which is, you know, how much we did actually depend upon public health officials or policing or our teachers or, you know, different policies that are put in place and also how much we can depend upon ourselves and the choices that we want to make when we actually have a a to do so and so uh you know interesting that he's waking up to that i could have told you about that you know a couple years ago brian i know
1: which is why you're there (laughs)
14: that's why why we left i mean we didn't we didn't just leave because of the tax reasons or because of the city i love new york city i miss it i'm sad that I'm not able to come back and visit. A part of me is there. Um, But the reality is for our family, we had to make certain decisions. And if we were looking across the landscape of what we were trying to do as small business owners, we simply could not do it in New York City. The pandemic is only highlighting these facts in Technicolor.
1: So here's the thing. You're not allowed back. So, and yeah, the yeah. city is not the same as you left it. Yeah. Uh, they are things, you remember those riots that everyone saw? They were riots, not protests. And the, yeah. the smashing of buildings and windows? Most of them are still broken. And those businesses, if they're allowed to come back, have chosen not to. So, here is in, in a time in which the city's fought on its back, where tax revenue is ground to a halt, we have all these state workers uh, and city workers wondering how they're going to get paid. This is what the Mayor de Blasio has chosen to do. 28.
5: We will have checkpoints at key entry points to the city. Travelers coming in from those states will be given information about the quarantine. They will be reminded that it is required, not optional. They'll be reminded that failure to quarantine is a violation of state law, and it comes with serious penalties. In fact, under certain circumstances, the fines can be as high as $10,000. So this is serious stuff. So we got a governor
1: begging for billionaires to come back, and a mayor threatening you not to.
14: <laughs> well, I was I was laughing when you said that about I'm not allowed to come back because I know I'm not I'm literally not allowed to come back. And you know, Brian, I would love to have dinner with you, but if it's going to cost me ten grand, and we I mean, it's not going to happen. We're, <laughs> not, we're not going to do it. I mean, and I'm I not have, waiting two I, weeks. I, yeah. <laughs> you know, so on the on the one hand, you, listen, I will say that's one thing I really noticed being uh, a re- reporting from a different area of the country with so much of the New York media, you're the exception, Brian, reporting about the pandemic early on. There was a lot of regionalism about like, yep. who's to blame for this pandemic? Who's not to blame? Who's the crazy ones? And it did divide along regional and political lines. We're seeing that even more now. We saw it in the states that didn't have the outbreaks too. I mean, the South also wasn't allowing or didn't want To allow travelers from the East Coast when this happened, where you know I'll I'll say everyone's trying to do the best that they can. At the same time, you know how is this sustainable? And as you mentioned, these major U.S. cities. I mean, New York City is an economic powerhouse. What happens in New York affects the job data we're going to get nationally tomorrow. It affects the GDP. So it's not just about you know these these just a city. You know, it's about the country overall and how the country is able to operate, what the economy looks like. And these are really big issues.
1: So this just happened and the press conference is going on while we're speaking. Uh, The New York attorney general has filed a lawsuit to dissolve the NRA. In the complaint, the attorney general, uh, her name is Latita James, lays out dozens of examples where the four individual defendants failed to fulfill their fiduciary duty to the NRA and used millions upon millions for their own personal use. I mean, that was part of the reason Oliver North left. Uh, How New York got involved, I am not sure. But one thing is clear. If you hurt the NRA, you hurt the Republican Party. Almost all of them are conservatives. And they fight every day for the Second Amendment, which is almost every Republican. What's significant about this?
14: Well, I'll say this: coming now, living in a place where the Second Amendment is a part of, of daily life, you have a lot of gun, gun, owners, gun owners in Texas. You have a lot of hunters. This is this is different than when I grew up in San Francisco, right? And it's drastically different. I what we should watch this developing story at the NRA, as you mentioned. There's. There, there might be trends that we should be looking at, patterns, but who knows? Let's let the facts come out about that. The NRA is not necessarily representative of every gun owner. We know not every group is that way, so we should separate them. You know, if something happens to the NRA, you're still going to have conservatives and even people that are not conservatives. You're watching gun sales recently, um, still – maybe having a different relationship, if you will, with their Second Amendment uh, rights after what we've seen over the last several months when it comes to personal safety in American cities.
1: All right. uh, Lastly, I want you to hear Joe Biden, what he just said to a reporter from Florida about the Latino community as opposed to the black community. Uh, Hold on tight. Unlike
6: the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things. You go to Florida, you find a very different attitude about immigration in certain places than you do when you're in Arizona. So it's a very different, a very diverse
1: community. Okay, isn't it nice to know Blacks do not have a diverse community, they all think the same, and Hispanics think differently? How's that gonna work?
14: Uh, No comment.
1: You have to comment? (sighs)
14: I don't think it's I don't, No, I'm just saying I don't even think it's worth commenting about. You know, that that simply is just untrue. Uh, if you look at the facts and the statistics about different uh, different groups and how they vote. Sure. I can tell you, Brian, that more white women vote for Democrat candidates at certain in certain elections. But you know what? Let's see what happens this election. I think it's really a dangerous thing for politicians, journalists, members of the media to paint uh, every group with one brush it simply does not tell the complete story and it's it's a not a smart thing to do whoever it is
1: wow uh it's disastrous uh for a politician we, we lived in an era when you worked here that george allen made one comment about a videographer said bacakta and they said you you're not going to win and he lost the set his senate seat and he thought of running for president you have people Like Mitt Romney, say binders of women and 49 percent will never vote for him. And he could never shake that. Biden speaks once every Haley's Comet and he sticks his feet, his foot in his mouth even before he jumbles his words. And he's getting a total pass. This should be the front and center on Drudge. But now Drudge has gone way to the left, too.
14: You know, it's interesting you say that because you compare that soundbite with what you played of the president talking about children earlier in our in our yeah. chat here, and you can really see, look how much that that got attention versus what Vice President Biden said. You're, you know, you're you're correct. the The media is forgiving of some and not forgiving of others. But thanks for the the trip down memory lane back to the binders of women. comments. Yeah. I had forgotten about that. One.
1: But I mean, if you watch and it, now, Trump,
14: and now yeah. look at it, right? It's I mean, it would be like. Nothing at this point compared oh, yeah. to what we're all dealing with.
1: <laughs> I don't know if there's a Trump standard because, you know, he's, he's live so often. He says things and people go, oh, my God, I got something. They run with that. So uh, it's crazy. So, uh, yeah, Jenna, it's I a crazy world too. and you're a voice <laughs> of sanity is. in it.
14: Thank you. All
1: right. I wish
14: I could say the same for you, but I'm not quite sure all the time. Right. About half the time, I think you're, you're a good voice for Yeah, sanity. I think yeah. I, make a lot,
1: I make more sense <laughs> when you watch me with the sound down. Because a lot of things I say, I know you don't agree with.
14: <laughs> I'll, I'll keep on trying that.
1: Thank you, Brian. <laughs> Thank you, Jenna Lee. Thank you. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'll take some calls and get to this. And by the way, if you want to follow Jenna in a great news service, smarthernews.com. Don't move.
2: Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmead. The more you listen... The more you'll know, it's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Joe Biden is a formidable debater. Um, he really helped contribute significantly uh, to the Obama-Biden wins uh, with his vice presidential debates
1: in 2008 and uh, 2012. And he stood on the debate stage, held his own, and was uh, a significant contributor to the debate over and over and over uh, as the Democratic field winnowed from more than 20 to a dozen to a handful uh, over this past year. He couldn't handle the attacks. He never bounced off of Kamala Harris. I don't remember him having a great moment. He didn't do bad against Bernie Sanders, but Sanders is so severe. And they were still kid-gloving it. But the president's got to come out strong, understand his weaknesses, and bait him to snap. James, listen in the, uh, on the app in Phoenix. James.
9: I need uh, kids back in school, Brian. This is insane, man. My employer, thank God for them, have, have been working with me since this virus hit. And the kids originally tried online at the end of spring or before summer, and it just doesn't work. Everybody's all the kids are trying to talk. They're distracted. Mine are seven and eight. And now the school was supposed to start July 17th full time, giving some parents the option to do online. And they just switched it uh, Monday to say, nope, everybody's got to be online now. So now instead of trying to manage a few hours of online learning, it's a six hour day. I don't know what my employer is going to do.
1: Now let I, me I ask you something. Uh, who's you? Yeah. Who made that decision?
9: Um, I think Ducey was trying to get some kind of liability waiver through insurance signed or signed off, and I guess he couldn't get that done. And um, the superintendent came out and said, "We're just going to make it all online for now because of fears of the virus spreading throughout the schools." And then you got the teachers' unions in some states protesting. It's just, it's, it's, it's out of control. Why can't they screen the kids for temperature checks when they come on grounds? send them home if they're you know if, they're, if they have high temps and when they gave us the option to do online or in school I, from what everything from what i was hearing a lot of students were going to do online so that reduces the in class yep. um body by a lot
1: yeah that my town's doing hybrid and they're staggering the high school's three days a week and the other goes two days a week and then at grammar school they go every single day and, and we're in new york so for now the numbers are down but it's all going to go up and down Thanks so much. I'm so sorry you're going through that, but I agree with you, sir. you got to get him back in school.
10: From the Fox News Podcasts Network.
3: Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.
10: Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.